You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. Kurt, Courtney and a lot of conspiracy. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritja. Yes, we've made it to our second season. Yay! How did you like our new uh, theme tune? The new theme tune is awesome. And bonus points for uh, every listener that recognizes the song, obviously. Yeah. Because if you recognize the song, then you're a real fan and you've listened to our podcast quite well. Or you've listened to Nirvana Piano on YouTube and several other channels because... uh, this one is also uh, played by uh, Joop Hullegi, uh, who is the mysterious piano player behind that uh, awesome uh, project. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks, uh, Joop, for uh, letting us use that tune. And while we're thanking people, I, th- I thought maybe it's good for the very first time to thank uh, the company that's actually uh, hosting our podcast, which is uh, CastBox. Ah, good point, yeah. I don't think we've ever mentioned them before, nope. but um, yeah, they're doing a great job uh, at hosting our uh, our podcast. Um, actually, I had a WhatsApp conversation with your husband the other day. Yeah, I know. Who <laughs> is starting his own podcast and asked us uh, what would be a good place to host it. And I said, well, go to castbox.fm. So I thought maybe it's nice to give them some uh, credits as well. Yeah, that's a really, uh, really good point. <laughs> yeah, and in this uh, second season, uh, we're going to let Go of the timeline. We've we've done that in in, in twenty episodes uh, in our first season. Uh, now we're going to do more um, thematic uh, episodes. Yep. So we're going to go uh, back and forth through time. Maybe uh, revisit some of the uh, issues that we've touched uh, on before, but have a, a bit more to say about. Uh, maybe have some guests on. We have um, some some plans to keep the podcast uh, going for a while. But at the same time, this time we're not actually letting go of the timeline yet because in a way we're now still at like after the previous one right yes you're right there but uh, i think in the next episode uh, we yeah. will be uh, all over the place uh, as yeah, far definitely. as the timeline goes yeah and uh, actually today's topic is something that we've been going back and forth about just yep. a bit not really sure if we had to do it or if we wanted to do it but in the end, we decided that we would do it. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the murder theory thing that has been going on for pretty much the day Kurt died. There's two reasons we decided to do it. And I think uh, the first one is that uh, it has become a part of the narrative, yep. whether we like it or not. The second one is um, I, th- I think most podcasts and YouTube videos are pretty much in favor of the conspiracy. Yep. And I think, uh, not that we're here to debunk it, but we are here to uh, at least balance out Yeah, just just a bit. Yeah, and I think that that one of the things that we discussed beforehand and that we'll hopefully be be able to to do during uh, this episode is that we don't just want to discuss the theories and, and assess whether they're right or not, but talk a bit more about like, why this happened, why those theories are still going strong, why it is that that people feel the need to discuss this in so much detail. And I think those things are pretty important as well. Just like we 
talked about Nirvana also in like the context of the music industry and stuff like that. Uh, I think it makes sense to discuss this as well within the context of music, fandom, uh, things like that. So uh, let's uh, go back in time. Uh, like you said, this episode pretty much ties into the, the, the last one because then uh, well, we discussed everything that happened um, basically right before and right after Kurt Cobain's uh, death in uh, April of 1994. Um, and pretty soon after that, almost immediately, the first theories were flying around about how um, maybe there was more going on than the official story. I mean, the official story was pretty straightforward. Um, he committed suicide and it's very, very tragic. And yeah, the world lost uh, a big musical talent and his friends and family lost a loved one. I think it's it's pretty common that after such a thing happens that conspiracy theories uh, pop up. I mean, yep. we all know the theories of Tupac and Elvis being alive. Or <laughs> exactly. I think John Lennon was perhaps murdered by uh, the Secret Service or, I mean, yep. everything, an iconic figure like that dies. People apparently feel the need to come up with alternative <laughs> explanations and, yeah. and, and and things like that <laughs> especially when it's when it's sudden for instance uh, like when when prince died a couple of years ago um he died of um uh, a medicine overdose and because most people didn't know that he actually used medicine painkillers yeah it's it's obvious that fans will start debating that and be like okay but how could this happen because we never heard anything about this and whatever and that makes sense here as well because like we said before now that whole incident in Rome for instance with Kurt was described as a suicide but back then nobody knew about that so to hear somebody just like oh yeah he killed himself Obviously, if that's the first thing you hear as a fan, you're going to be like, wow, what happened? How? Why? So that's not that weird. I think the first person to um, come up with an alternative storyline was um, a guy called Richard Lee. Mm -hmm. I think we best describe him as a journalist, for lack of a better word. He almost immediately started um, discussing this topic uh, on his own uh, TV show, the first thing that set him off was uh, the fact that there wasn't that much uh, blood on the scene. Exactly. And then <laughs> pretty soon after that, uh, it became apparent that that is actually pretty much always the case with uh, people shooting themselves uh, the way Kurt did in the mouth. So that didn't really uh, hold up very well, <laughs> but I think he went, kept on going and going and going. Um, I haven't seen a lot of his footage, though. Me neither. Bits and bobs of it. I think because he was the first one and he just jumped into this whole murder narrative without that much detail and made it feel like sort of a, a personal thing to him. It doesn't really resonate to me. <laughs> From what I've read about it is uh, he took it way too far. Uh, in the year 2000, Christian Fuzelik had to get a restraining order against him. A couple of years ago, uh, Courtney and... Uh, Frances, um, Kurt's uh, widow and daughter, actually had to um, go to court to pre because uh, uh, Richard Lee wanted to publicly release photographs of Kurt's uh, body. Mm -hmm. That's a bit so uh, yeah. he doesn't strike me as a very pleasant guy, to say the least. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And, and I, uh, I think that he wouldn't have gotten a lot of attention. Well, he still doesn't get that much attention, but I think that. 
he wouldn't have reached a very big audience um, if it wasn't for uh, a second person to jump on this train or actually get this train started. And that was uh, Tom Grant. Mm -hmm. He was a, a private detective that was hired by Courtney in the days when uh, Kurt left uh, the rehab center he was in and went missing for a couple of days until he, uh, he was found um, yep. dead, uh, as we all know. And of course, that would attract attention because he was hired by Courtney Love. And then he basically pointed the finger at her and said, well, I think there's more to it. And I think that my client is behind it. That's basically <laughs> exactly. his, yeah. his story. So I can understand why that would attract attention. Definitely. And it if you want to get to know what happened, it makes more sense to listen to somebody who actually was involved and talk to a lot of people who were involved during that time than to somebody who was at a distance like uh, Richard Lee was and who just had basically his own theories. Yeah. And, and Richard Lee started, like we said, almost straight away. Yep. Tom Grant came forward at the end of 1994. Mm -hmm. So a couple of months later, starting to make claims, uh, like I said, at, uh, attract attention. And I think he, he made a big break uh, reaching uh, a broader audience uh, when the case was featured on uh, Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. It's, uh, it's a TV show that has run a long, long time. Yep. Uh, I think it's it has like a revival on, on Netflix at the moment. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> nice. On the Netflix show, they um, take one um, case for a, for a whole episode. Mm -hmm. In the original TV show, they uh, discuss uh, several cases. Right. And uh, the Kurt Cobain case was, uh, was one of those. Um, so the item isn't that long. I think it's maybe like 15 minutes, something like right. that. And in 1997, they... Uh, had a guest, uh, and that was Tom Grant, uh, who got the chance to basically lay out his uh, his claims. So uh, that's the first step into reaching um, like a mainstream audience, yeah. uh, I think. And uh, here is how it was introduced. When rock and roll singer Kurt Cobain committed suicide, few questioned the official ruling. But private investigator Tom Grant is convinced that the truth about Cobain's death has yet to be revealed. Yeah, I, I I heard you laughing at this introduction. Is it is it uh, the very nineties mysterious music they yeah, they use? Yeah, exactly that music. It's like <laughs> like it's it's not murder mysteries. It's like horror kind of <laughs> dramatic. Uh, yeah, this is I mean this is so clearly like fictionalized to me even even if i haven't heard the rest of the content but when you hear this my mind screams like oh yeah fiction like <laughs> fixed in a a documentary style but still it's sort of it it feels so out there yeah yeah absolutely uh, maybe also because it's very american yep. with with the voiceover and the music and the mysterious sounds and maybe um that's more of a an American yeah. flavor of True. making a TV show uh, because, uh, well, the, well, the content isn't fictionous. I mm -hmm. mean, they, they have uh, Tom Grant laying out his, his theory, theory uh, and they have several um, independent experts 
discussing it. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the weird thing about this one is that basically the all the evidence, well, quote unquote evidence that Tom Grant provides is getting pretty much debunked straight away. <laughs> okay. So let's let's go through them. Some of those uh, pieces of evidence will uh, uh, come up later, and so some of them won't that much. Um, the first one is Tom Grant had a story about uh, Kurt Cobain's credit card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, when uh, Courtney hired him uh, at first, uh, she said she wanted to him to find the person who was using um, her credit card. But then, when Tom actually met up with him. She told him, no, I want you to find my husband and I have uh, canceled his credit card so I can find him. What he said is that uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, credit card was missing. It wasn't found uh, on him when his uh, body was discovered and that somebody had tried to use it uh, after uh, Kurt had died. Right. So let's listen to that theory and uh, response uh, of the uh, of the experts. There was an attempt made on April 6th in an, an amount of over $1,500. There was another attempt made on April 8th, which was Friday, the day the body was found, for an amount of $43. Now, according to the medical examiner, Kurt had died sometime on April 5th, the previous Tuesday. Who was using the credit card? So that's Tom Grant. The information we've been able to receive from the bank has only been able to identify for us when the information was logged onto their mainframe computer and not specifically when the attempt was made or who it was made by. So pretty much there you have it. Tom (laughs) Grant says somebody used his credit card after he died. And then the police says, well, we only know when the information was logged into the computer. And sometimes there's a delay. Uh, Well, they don't say that sometimes there's a delay, but... Yeah, there is. There is. So... Basically, that 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 evidence doesn't hold up st- straight away. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense also because it's like, and this is something that uh, I'll probably say a lot during this episode, but what does this point to exactly? Because if Kurt Cobain's credit card was used or somebody attempted to use it after he died, that doesn't say anything about his death because... Maybe he gave it to somebody. Maybe he lost it. Um, maybe he was stolen. It was stolen from him. It has nothing to do with his death whatsoever. So, I mean, you, you mentioned like Elvis and Tupac. Nobody is claiming that Kurt is still alive. If he was, that would be interesting. Like, okay, uh, they say he's dead, but his credit cards were still used a week after his death. That could be interesting. Mm. But yeah, in this case, it's like... Yeah, maybe that happened, but... Exactly. Was, well, not, not yeah. even maybe that happened. First of all, it didn't happen because <laughs> exactly. there was a delay. And uh, like like you said, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, he was hanging around with, with junkies and dealers. Exactly. I mean, they're not known for being very trustworthy with <laughs> money or credit cards. And I mean, what would be more sensible, A, that some junkie or dealer got hold of his credit card and tried to use it Mm -hmm. or be somebody who just executed a a murder, um, (laughs) took his credit card and then tried to use it. (laughs) That's it's, it's, uh, it makes no, no sense. And I think the interesting thing is that, uh, the whole credit card story is, is faded out to the background a bit. 
Tom Grant has kept uh, the story going for 25 years now. And uh, I don't think he ever um, pressed that credit card uh, thing that much anymore. No. Because, well, apparently, uh, I suppose he figured out that it wasn't uh, a very, uh, <laughs> very strong uh, thing yeah, today. Okay, exactly. so um, second piece of evidence that is, uh, that is discussed in the Unsolved Mysteries um, episode is the um, alleged lack of fingerprints on the gun and several other objects mm-hmm. uh, on the scene of uh, Kurt's uh, death. So um, let's have a listen to that as well. Police have checked the shotgun, the shotgun shells, and the pen used to write the suicide note for fingerprints. There were no legible prints on any of them. Well, I think it's clear that anyone who is familiar with firearms and their use would know that uh, as they hold a weapon, that frequently that weapon will move in their hand. Uh, Additionally, when that weapon is discharged, that causes a jerking motion, which causes the hands to move uh, over the surface of the weapon. And all of those factors could cause uh, any fingerprints that uh, may have been left on the weapon to be unusable. Yeah, so again, uh, something is brought up. There's no legible fingerprints. And then somebody gives a very reasonable and rational explanation for that. And the thing is that over the years, it has become a thing of a story of its own. So people are now claiming that there were no fingerprints at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, somebody has wiped it. Yeah. So somebody has wiped the gun clean or something like that. That That's not the case. There were no legible fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to many experts, that's very common, yeah. especially after a few days in um Kurt's body was in the in the in the green room, which was like a a room above the garage, which was a bit humid and stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, apparently that causes fingerprints to become uh, less clear. Yeah. So that there's another. <laughs> uh, we're almost halfway through the evidence that's been presented in unsolved mysteries, and <laughs> two out of two are just you know. I think it's it's the thing with fingerprints is it's such a um, mystery trope. Basically, that anybody who has been watching like police procedural TV series and stuff like that uh, thinks they know about fingerprints and that that's always been like one of the important things of every case, like whose fingerprints are there and, and why and how and whatever. So that sort of speaks to your imagination when you hear it, because... Hmm. Um, you think it's like, oh yeah, fingerprint. This is, this is one of those things. So I think that's one of the reasons why you still hear that come up. Um, and people believe in a theory like that just because they think they know how it works. But like you said, the fact that fingerprints can, can just sort of uh, fade away after a couple of days, uh, you never see that in, in TV shows. So <laughs> no. Uh, and also this was, uh, before, um, DNA uh, research yep. uh, became a thing. So fingerprints was probably the most scientific mm-hmm. thing to go by at that time. So, uh, okay, um, on to the next one. And, and this is one that uh, is still coming up in, in theories uh, uh, today. Um, that is a point about uh, the level of heroin that was in mm-hmm. Kurt's blood. So let's uh, listen to that as well. By the way, um, the complete episode of Unsolved Mysteries uh, is on YouTube. So uh, you can go and check it out uh, for yourself and uh, maybe uh, have a listen and see that we're not manipulating the audio. (laughs) 
could he, with that much heroin and diazepam in his system, could he even pick up that shotgun? Wouldn't he be incapacitated within seconds? Uh, for most people, including addicts, 1.52 milligrams per liter of morphine is a significant level, and for most of them, the great percentage, it will be a level that will induce a state of unconsciousness quite quickly. Talking about seconds, not minutes. Cyril Wecht is a nationally known forensic pathologist. Even though he hasn't seen the autopsy report, Wecht believes a suicide ruling is correct. However, he does find the high level of heroin intriguing. I just cannot tell you that it would have been impossible for him to have shot himself because it was found that he had a level of 1.52 milligrams per liter of morphine uh, at uh, the post-mortem examination. It's certainly within the realm of possibility, but it does raise a question as to whether or not uh, he shot that shotgun. Dr. Donald Ray, chief medical examiner of King County, inspected Cobain's body at the scene. He does not find Cobain's heroin intake problematic. It's really an issue of tolerance. How much is this person used to? If a person has um, gradually over uh, months or years increased the dose, um, a person could function uh, with that amount of, uh, of drugs, narcotics, or whatever it is uh, present in the system. Again, it, uh, so much of it depends upon individual tolerance over a period of time. Yeah, so that's uh, another pretty clear judgment, I think. Tom Grant raises a question and says, well, uh, shouldn't he be uh, incapacitated uh, straight away? And then the second guy you hear, uh, well, he says, yeah, it raises questions, yeah. perhaps. But he also uh, says that uh, it's in the realms uh, of possibility. Yep. And that he believes that it was, in fact, a suicide. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yep, there you have it. And, and this is in 1989, uh, But this is one of the, like you said, one of the most hurt things that still continues. I immediately had to think about the, the Soaked in Bleach documentary that is, on this point, I found incredibly manipulative because when they talk about the amount of heroin... They make uh, infographics about it, <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah. the weird thing is that, like they say here, it's it's a matter of tolerance as well. I think we talked before about how Kurt sort of nearly died of of like overdoses, only to just go up on stage an hour later and just play a great show. I think we all know that he uh, he used a lot. Yeah. For a severe heroin addict like Cobain was, um, it, it's entirely plausible that he could still function. And when people bring up this point, they tend to um, point out details like uh, apparently the, the caps were on the on the syringes, um, and his sleeve was rolled down, and his drug kit was put back in, in, into place. And people say, "Well, he." He wouldn't be able to do that and or even say, yeah, well, when you're high, um, committing suicide, that's like the last thing you want to do because you feel so great. But that's not proving murder at all. No. So, um, again, I can see why this is raising questions. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think the answers to those questions are 
pretty believable. So uh, let's go to, to the last um, um, a point that uh, comes up in um, Unsolved Mysteries, and that is the point of the suicide node. Mm-hmm. This is a copy of the note that has been widely circulating. Tom Grant suggests that only the last four lines indicate suicide. They read, Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Curiously, these lines are written in much larger characters than the rest of the note. Unsolved Mysteries asked handwriting expert Marcel Matley to compare a copy of Cobain's alleged suicide note with copies of two pages of lyrics handwritten by Cobain. Matley believes the bulk of the note was written by Cobain, but finds the last four lines questionable. As to the last four lines, there are more than a dozen differences that should give us pause, and we would have to reasonably explain these differences before we can conclude that the same person wrote the four lines that wrote the body of it. Handwriting expert Reginald Alton of Oxford University also compared copies of Cobain's handwriting to a copy of the note. In a five-page written report, Alton pointed out more than a dozen discrepancies. Alton believes the bulk of the suicide note was written by Cobain, but raises questions about the first line and the last four lines. His report concludes, quote, there are many indications that there may have been a second hand at work. Alton cautions, however, that the copies are not good enough to make any firm pronouncement. We did take the note from the scene and have it examined at the Washington State Crime Lab, and their handwriting analyst has indicated that it is uh, her belief that this note was written by Mr. Cobain. That was the police you heard in the end. They were the ones that had access to the actual original note. Right. Yep. And had an expert look at it and came to the conclusion that it was Kurt. Uh, and then the um, external experts raised questions, but they also say, well, the copy isn't good enough. Yep. Um, <laughs> and w- some things are questionable and maybe need to be explained. None of them say, well, it's definitely not his handwriting. No. Nope. And I actually found a, um, an audio clip of a certified forensic uh, document examiner who talks a bit about her experiences with Tom Grant and how that went down. Because <laughs> Tom keeps on pushing the narrative that the last couple of lines weren't written by, uh, by Kurt, but right. by somebody else. Um, and this is uh, how she looks back at that. Just middle of the night, I think it was like three o'clock in the morning, Tom Grant called me. And he was on the site and he was telling me about the suicide and the note. And he said, um, you know, there's some practice notes here. And I believe that Courtney Love must have written it. And I need you to do it right away because I'm going to take it to the police at nine o'clock this morning. So I stayed up all night doing this analysis. He faxed it to me. And um, at the end of it, I said, you know, I can understand why you would think that. And there's some similarities, but no, he definitely wrote it. Well, Tom Grant didn't like that, and so he never paid me. <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> yeah, and and I gave him, I referred him to somebody else I knew who was a competent analyst. 
Same thing happened. She gave the same opinion, didn't get paid. And then he found this really sweet elderly lady that I knew who was not at all qualified. And he got her to say what he wanted her to. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was an interview with uh, uh, Sheila Lowe on the House of Mystery uh, radio show. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> it gives a nice insight in um, how Tom Grant was approaching this subject. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting. <laughs> like like uh, Sheila Lowe says, um, she can see why somebody would raise questions about those four uh, lines at the, at the bottom. I mean, if you look at it with untrained eyes, like you and me, you think, oh, the letters are a lot bigger and yep. the tone also shifts shifts mm -hmm. a bit. But yeah, well, I think. We should listen to the experts on, the, on this <laughs> exactly. one. Exactly. And, and also, I think, uh, this is again one of those things where you can say, like, even if there's something weird about it, that doesn't prove anything. Um, if he wrote it all himself, he could have written it on, um, uh, different moments, for instance. Maybe yeah. he wrote a whole letter like days before that or months before that. And then, added the last couple of lines just before he killed himself. Yeah, in a different emotional state or exactly. maybe yeah. being on drugs or whatever. And and even if Courtney wrote the last few lines, um, <laughs> maybe being concerned about the fact that there was a note and nothing in that note said, Courtney, I love you, and she added it to it. Huh. I Yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah. If she did that, doesn't prove anything else, except for that she was sad about not being mentioned. <laughs> so. Still, it's that that's already a stretch. Let's put it like that. So, so I I think it's not a very strong case, but the show is called Unsolved Mysteries. So they cl close it off by saying, "Oh well, um, the police uh, still think this, but Tom Grant believed something different. It, it's an unsolved mystery. I mean." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. they, they have to <laughs> that's like the whole point of their show so they can't say uh well maybe it's it's not so mysterious at all goodbye yeah, exactly. folks uh, <laughs> see you next week i mean yeah um but i i think the content of the show would give reason to put the whole thing to a rest by the way i thought it was uh, 1998 it was 1997 actually this right. episode because a year later in 1998 A British guy called Nick Broomfield decided yeah. uh, to make a documentary. Exactly. It caused quite a stir when it when it came out. He's never saying that he thinks that Kurt was murdered, but he comes to like a sort of a half-hearted conclusion that maybe he was driven to committing suicide. Um, but the whole documentary, it's just, it's such a mess. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. I, Nick, Nick Broomfield was quite a, a big name in documentaries because he had this confrontational documentary style that people either loved or hated. Um, and I actually knew somebody who worked with him and I was like, everybody was like, Oh, you work with Nick Broomfield. That's so cool and whatever. I think that only lasted for like a couple of years that he was like th this, this big shot. But when you look at this documentary, this is really his style of documentary making. And um, yeah, some people love it. <laughs> Let's just leave it yeah. at that. But yeah, and this is I, what he does. I can see the appeal. I mean, it's like his own personal quest. 
I mean, he is the main character of his own documentary. Yep. It's not as much about Kurt and Courtney as the title would suggest. It's more about Nick Broomfield <laughs> walking around with a camera yep, and yep. not really not really knowing what to do with it at some mm-hmm. point. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think it's such a weird documentary. Um, he goes out, tries to find people who knew uh, Kurt and Courtney, but... He doesn't seem to be very good at it. There's no. actually in the documentary a woman who claimed, who claims that she was friends with Kurt and Courtney and that she can provide pictures to prove that with the three of them together, but she never does. So nobody knows if she even knew them. No. But still, uh, she's in the movie. Yep, exactly. <laughs> then halfway during the film, Tom Grant shows up and, uh, and brings in his his uh, theory, and then after that, the whole thing goes in a completely different direction because then it's it's all about Courtney trying to stop the movie from being made, and then it becomes like a wild goose chase to confront Courtney about that. Yep, <laughs> which is really weird. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have to do anything with with whether or not Kurt was murdered or what was going on and then it becomes about free speech and it's so it's so weird it's basically a sort of stream of consciousness documentary style making so like you start off with um a subject and, and just basically go where the subject leads you <laughs> which in this case is going off on that tangent of oh Courtney doesn't want me to do this so this is actually what this documentary is now going to be about. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he even goes um, so far as to hire paparazzi to, to go after her. And then the battery of the camera runs out or they forget to ask the important questions. It's it's pretty bizarre, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> the takeaway from a lot of people is that, oh, Courtney uh, tried to prevent this movie from being made. She's got something to hide. But with the whole Tom Grant thing, people say... Oh, she never sued Tom Grant because she doesn't dare to take it to court. Yep. I, I, I bet she's got something to hide. So <laughs> you can take it <laughs> as you want to. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, of course, you want people to stop haunting you and keep on going with like trying to, to mess up your private life and talk about all these things that lie in the past. Like whatever happened, it's not what you want. So <laughs> I can I can understand her not wanting to have people do that documentary in any case. Yeah, and, and I think there's two um two things in this documentary that really fueled the whole conspiracy uh story. Mm-hmm. Uh first of all they also have their own take on the whole heroin level thing uh, but they get it totally wrong <laughs> they uh, they consult an expert who says that it's possible for um, somebody with such a level in his blood um, but he the proof that he provides is uh, based on methadone not mm-hmm. heroin and taken in pills not injected directly into the bloodstream yeah yeah so by having somebody saying that it's possible that Kurt got that amount of heroin in his blood and would still be able to function. But they, they messed it up so bad that people yeah. take the opposite position. <laughs> exactly. They tend to think, well, you see, yeah. it's like, you see, they try to disprove it and it <laughs> wouldn't work because they got it all wrong. The second thing uh, in there that's become like a thing of its own is his uh, encounter with a guy called uh, Eldon Hoke. 
Yep. <laughs> also known as El Duce, who was uh, like a shock rock figure, maybe got some uh, local notoriety. I don't yeah. think uh, his band, The Mentors, was was that big. But um, yeah, somebody sent uh, Nick Broomfield to him who had this um, interaction with him. Let's, uh, let's have a listen. <laughs> cool. This is Aeon Malduce. This is the... Ah! Tell you, he's... Where's the booze? Sure, the dog won't get out and attack us here? This is... Dog a angry dog. perverted. He's just a perverted... Yeah, a warped... Uh, <laughs> intoxicated. Most of the time. <laughs> so, and, but you, uh... You did some deal with Courtney, right? Yeah. She offered me 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I was telling you. She what? 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. And that's that's a fact, is it? (laughs) But uh, people might think you're not the most reliable witness. Well, that's too bad. You may not be the reliable witness your own self. (laughs) (laughs) Now think about that one. Yeah. (laughs) You know? When she offered me money, God dang, I wish I would have taken it, man. But I I know who whacked him. But how were you going to whack him? Did she tell you how to do it? Yeah, blow his fucking head off. So she where were you going to find him to do it? Well, up there, and uh, she gave, you know, mapped it out. I mean, you know, up there in uh, Bellevue, wherever they live, right outside Seattle. I know right where the house is. I know right what, what uh, garden to pop him in. I just, I just didn't think she was serious. But did she tell you how she wanted you yeah, to pop him? Yeah, she says blow his fucking head off. I got the shotgun. But she didn't say anything about Make making it look, it look like, like a suicide. suicide. Well, yeah, but if you just blew his brains out, like you said, it wouldn't look like suicide. It looked like you blew his brains right. out, right? But uh, I told Alan, I mean, uh, my friend, who... <laughs> uh, I'll let the FBI catch him, but... Uh, <laughs> That's just the way it's done. End the story. <laughs> I got, <laughs> hey, fifty grand does a lot of talking. You buy me a beer, I might do some more talking. <laughs> yeah, but apparently uh, Nick Broomfield didn't buy him a beer and didn't no. let him do any more talking because this is all we have. From this encounter? Yep. The the guy basically disqualifies himself by saying that. It's like, <laughs> give me a beer, I'll say anything. <laughs> it's sort of the feeling that... Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he even brings up himself, I know who did it. And then Nick Broomfield doesn't even ask, oh, well, who was it then? No, exactly. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but still, um, this clip has found its way to the internet and it still shows up left and right and yep. there's two things that sort of make it credible for mm-hmm. some people first of all um, he took a polygraph test at one point he passed it so people yep. tend to think well so he must be speaking the truth um, then again there's other people who say that it wasn't he wasn't properly tested mm-hmm. and also polygraph tests aren't exact science I mean no and and especially over the, the last couple of years, they've been sort of really disqualified as as a proper way of measuring something. So yeah. But still, 
least it, it makes it seem a bit more credible. Also, uh, not long after this interview, uh, Mr. El Duce died. Yep. Uh, he got uh, hit by a train. According to some stories, one of the last uh, people that saw him alive was Alan Wrench. Mm-hmm. Now, in this uh, fragment we've just heard, uh, he says, uh, I talked to uh, uh, Alan, um, my friend, about this. Uh, so some people think that this guy, uh, Alan, is Alan Wrench, his friend, also mm-hmm. uh, a musician. Um, and that was the reason why Alan Wrench killed El Duce. So because he, he let his name slip in this documentary. Um, and Alan Wrench is a pretty weird person as well <laughs> he's been he, he's been suggesting or flat out saying that he he killed kurt cobain left and right mm-hmm. I, if you actually did that why would you <laughs> try to seek attention with it and and claiming it all over the place exactly. i mean it, it makes a, sense. A, a lot of people think that people like uh el duce and alan wrench used it just to get some publicity to shock some people to just, you know, maybe think it's funny. Yeah. They, they did stuff like that a lot, apparently. Nobody has really taken it seriously. So, uh, not, not even Tom Grant. He says, no, I've <laughs> disproven the whole, uh, Alan Ranch, uh, story. Yeah. But still people, uh, bring it up. If you're, um, trying to make your own Kurt Cobain was murdered YouTube video, this is, a this is a nice thing to edit in. This sort of stirs up the narrative a bit. So, uh. <laughs> so uh, that same year, 1998, uh, a book was published written by Ian Halperin and Max Wallace called uh, Who Killed Kurt Cobain? So they're also um, yeah, delving into that topic and also um, bringing forward a lot of the copycat suicides that um, they claimed appeared after uh, Kurt had died. Mm-hmm. We talked a bit about that last time that a lot of people think that's not the case, that the suicide rate actually went down. But they uh, give some uh, examples and really press the point that you know, it went up and that's why the case needs to be solved, which is also a thing that Tom Grant keeps on claiming. And a couple of years later, um, the same duo, uh, Halperin and Wallace, um, they write a second book, called mm-hmm, Love yep. and Death. And uh, for that book, they cooperate a lot with Tom Grant and they use a lot of his tapes yep. during those days when um, Tom was in the service of Courtney. He decided to pretty much tape every conversation he had. So he has like a box of uh, cassette tapes of interactions with with, with Courtney and, and, and other people. The whole fact that he has that many tapes and started recording from from the start and and like <laughs> having that as some kind of treasure is is like it's part of the narrative i guess also when you read that book it's like oh yeah he has this he has those tapes and we can we can listen to them and some of them we can't listen to because he'll yeah. only give them to the police it's like those tapes are like a thing of its own i feel and also again one of those nice mystery tropes of there's tapes and what's on them it's like (laughs) yeah and the writers had access to the tapes but like you said not to all of them exactly i mean if those recordings provide evidence of your uh, claim then release them to the public exactly at least those uh, authors of the book listen to all of them but no for some reason he's still (laughs) holding some of them back and only small portions of them are publicly released yep 
So that's um, yeah. So that's the thing. Um, apart from the the stuff that Tom Grant brought to them, uh, the writers of the book also did some research themselves, casting doubts about Courtney's behavior right before and right after uh, Kurt was uh, went missing. Like um, he had called her hotel room after um, he had left the rehab center, but she Courtney never mentioned that to Tom Grant when he. Uh, when she sent him on on this quest, Courtney had l- made a lot of phone calls to Kali uh, uh, the Wit, who's actually called Michael the Wit, but everybody seems to call him Kali because he's yeah. from California, I think. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. I know I read it somewhere, but not sure. And 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 he was um, a friend of theirs. Some say an uh, ex lover of of Courtney to make it look even more. Uh, suspicious and that exactly. may be true i haven't i haven't checked that but uh, uh and he was hired as their nanny and mm-hmm. he lived in the house of the cobains um during those days when kurt was missing so yep. that's uh that's weird and apparently it's suspicious that uh, courtney called him a lot of uh during those days but to come back to those tapes um there is something in those audio clips that i th- still can't really explain <laughs> okay, interesting. The, 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 that's the uh, recordings um, that Tom made with his conversations with uh, Rosemary Carroll. Mm-hmm. Rosemary oh, yeah. Carroll was um, entertainment uh, attorney. Yep, and she was pretty close to them because uh, she was also named a godmother of uh, of Francis Bean. Yep. So from the pieces of audio that Tom Grant has released. It seems to be that she had her questions about especially uh, the suicide note, but mm-hmm. also a note that popped up when uh, Tom Grant was uh, searching the Cobain house. Together with Dylan Carlson, um, uh, at one point they found a note on the stairs that Kelly yep. apparently wrote saying, Oh, Kurt, uh, I can't believe I you were in this house while I was here. You have to call, call Courtney yep. and... A whole, a whole thing. Some of the things that Rosemary Carroll says on the tapes do seem to suggest that she thought there was some foul play at work as well. Mm-hmm. So here's a little, uh, little piece of that. Yep. Someone went through his notebooks, found passages that could plausibly be cobbled together to a suicide and traced them. You think they were traced? Mm, yeah. Or forged or something like that. Well, are you, are you taping this call? I tape all my calls. Oh, shit. Tom. Do you want me to turn it off? Yeah, I mean, I just... Yeah, so there she says that she thinks that somebody forged that note. Yep. And she makes other statements like this. Yeah, I, I find it weird that when she asks, like... Can you turn it off that he actually does that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wouldn't do that if I was the investigator and I felt something weird. You would say, yeah, yeah, that. it's off now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Later, she uh, sent a letter to Tom Grant uh, threatening mm-hmm. a lawsuit, and but she never uh, went through with that. Yeah. But, uh, but she never publicly made a statement about this. No. Not that I'm aware of. I did found a comment by Danny Goldberg who was uh, Rosemary Carroll's uh, husband at the time and who was also uh, Kurt's manager. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm uh, throwing in too many names in the mix, but I'm just, 
I, I, I hope people can still follow what we're, what we're saying. So, um, here's what Danny Goldberg had to say about his ex-wife saying stuff like this on those tapes, uh, that, uh, Tom Grant made. Um, I was just wondering, since your, your, um, ex-wife, uh, Rosemary Carroll also had a very different reaction to, originally to, to Kurt's death, how, what do you attribute that to? I attribute that to Tom Grant being a liar who uh, taped her without her knowing it mm -hmm. and then edited the tape in a way to alter her feelings mm -hmm. and in, in, she has never ever said anything publicly to agree with him uh, but he took these uh, edited tapes and put them on the internet and people believe that that's her view but she's never said that and mm -hmm. uh, I interviewed her for the book again and she's still uh, you know it's just it's complete uh, fab it's part of Tom Grant's crazy mm -hmm. conspiracy theory to, to at a time of tremendous grief uh, after somebody that we loved very much had done this and, and she was in a position of having to deal with things I didn't have to deal with legally uh, and had been asked by Courtney to be with this guy. Um, you know, uh, he taped all these conversations and then, and then took a few things out of context and put them on the internet to make it seem like she agreed with the theory that in my opinion, she does not agree with. She certainly never said a single word publicly to agree with that out of all of the 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 weird stuff and the the conspiracy theories and whatever um i think her part in this has always stood out as sort of the weird part because it feels like on the one hand she is maybe hiding something or at least having ideas um but the fact that she stepped out of the conversations with tom grant um and then kept her kept her mouth shut about it after that um i think to me leads to believe that if she had a real suspicion she would have come out with it um but she has this this weird position i guess that like you said she was the attorney for both of them she knew both of them well got mother of their child um both of them have as we know called her on several occasions like asking her to look into like divorces or whatever and like so she was she was close to them and I think that she would have known about weird details but was probably shocked about being used like this just like her her husband now suggests whether or not he's his ex-husband whether or not he's right about Tom Grant manipulating her story I don't know she could have just maybe said something like this and just regretted it <laughs> that it's now on tape and out there forever but yeah like in the spur of the moment if you discuss things with people it's you sometimes say stuff like that and you don't realize that later on it can be used as sort of evidence but it, but there's more to it because she also found a backpack that was apparently left at her place by Courtney uh, which contained uh, something that looked like a practice sheet for writing letters and also um, a to-do list and one of those uh, things to do was get arrested <laughs> yeah right yeah now yeah, first yeah. that 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 to-do list uh, Courtney got arrested during those days yep. but got released quite quickly because um, uh, I think claims didn't hold up and people speculate that she wanted to get arrested to get a rock solid alibi mm -hmm. and why else would you have a to-do list that said get arrested <laughs> well I can I can see why you would have that on your to-do list because her album was gonna 
be released quite soon. And like she's been saying in other interviews with Tom Grant as well, like any publicity is good publicity, right? And she was already known as a sort of weird rock and roll woman. Um, so yeah, getting arrested would probably mean another headline, um, which would be nice to sell your records. So that wouldn't per se have anything to do with Kurt. There's no evidence, I guess, to connect those two things together. But what about the practice sheet? I mean, there's I've seen it. I don't know if it's ever been officially been confirmed, no. but also I don't think it's been debunked. So why would you have a sheet with different letters and handwriting? Yeah, no idea. I don't have any any reason to connect that to anything else either, though, because the weird thing is, again, this is sort of the sort of circumstantial evidence that trying to forge somebody's handwriting doesn't mean that you actually killed them. <laughs> The only thing it means that you have tried to imitate somebody's handwriting for whatever reason. And I think also, but then we're, we're talking about the more general scope, I guess, that we're sort of slowly getting into that there are a lot of different things that happened and were uncovered during those days that don't necessarily have to go together. Because again, in this case, um, like... Practicing letters is something that you consciously do, um, not when you're like in a hurry or whatever. And since Kurt was in rehab and, and left rehab on his own accord without anybody actually knowing about that, even if he was killed, there was not a lot of premeditation that you can do because if you expect somebody to be in rehab for at least a couple of weeks, there's nothing you can arrange like long term at that moment. So you see, there's a lot of different things that, that could point to something, but they don't necessarily point to the same thing, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and they don't necessarily point to a murderous plot nope. being made. A lot of um, those things are about Courtney's behavior, making slightly weird uh, statements, also sometimes being sarcastic. Tom Grant says that she gave him false information like uh, oh Kurt likes to stay in fancy hotels while in fact he uh, preferred really sleazy uh, hotels uh, to to shoot up and and things like that uh, yep. also Courtney said that she couldn't come to Seattle because she had business in LA but Tom Grant claims that Mo Rosemary Carroll said that she did not have business in LA um, which may be true but still doesn't really prove murder or foul play also um, Tom says that Courtney didn't want him to keep an eye on the house which she wanted yep. to do uh, because she said no Kelly is is there so if Kurt shows up I'll I'll know and speaking of that whole situation that's also weird there is this story that Kelly again their nanny living in the house saw Kurt at one point yep in the morning yeah but uh, that news never made it to Tom Grant, which is really weird if you're hiring a private detective to look for your missing husband. Uh, mm -hmm. Later, Kelly said that he thought it was a, was a dream. That's just, just really strange. Let's not forget all of these people were using drugs. Courtney was, Kelly was. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to to take 
any of their words and actions really seriously because you don't know in what state they were. So Kelly saying he said he saw Kurt and saying it was a dream, whatever. It could all be true, basically. Whichever way is true, all of the variants of that story are weird. Again, they don't uh, <laughs> amount to any proof. Um, and I think the same goes for, um, like you said, the whole whole thing of Courtney hiring Tom, but on the other hand, not really hiring because, like like you said, he doesn't need to go at first to Seattle or he doesn't need to go to the house or whatever. Courtney just got his name from the yellow pages. It's like, it sort of feels like her thinking like, oh yeah, I need to call somebody or whatever, but I'm not sure. And like all of it is is sort of in a haze, which makes it even harder to decide if the things that are slightly weird are also pointing to <laughs> any official wrongdoing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Courtney was trying to kick her drug habit uh, at the time as well. Also, she was preparing her album release. So yeah, I can imagine imagine she had a lot of stuff going on. I can also see why people think, well, drop everything and try to find your husband. But then again, um, Kurt's behavior was sketchy and, and, and irrational a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. he was a heroin addict. He had mental problems. They, they had a lot of problems uh, between them. Uh, so yeah, maybe she thought, oh, he'll show up sooner or later or yeah i don't know yeah i mean i i can get why she was sort of worried but not really worried um in in line of his behavior that makes a lot of sense yeah so um wow this is becoming like a really long episode <laughs> yeah we were planning on doing one episode but like we're only halfway through, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's better to uh, to leave it here and then uh, pick up the story next time. Yep. So this is going to be our first two-parter. Yeah. Uh, we will uh, release the second part of this podcast. Uh, well, let's say uh, as soon as, as I have edited it, <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> so stay tuned and, uh, and we'll be back for uh, the rest yeah, absolutely. Uh, and meanwhile, if you want to reach us, uh, send us an email and you can send it to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com or uh, send us a message on Facebook. And uh, you can do that by going to facebook.com slash nirvana podcast. Um, for now, thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.